pray with me, Lord Jesus, may you, may you receive glory in that. We acknowledge you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You alone can redeem us and rescue us and restore us to God's design. You are the only true hope. You are the everlasting God. You have made yourself known. We have your word, and now we open it, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll guide us into all truth, that we would not simply understand it, but we would we would know how to live it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and be seated. We're talking about serving, the fact that we do this better together. Every person in this room who is a believer in Jesus Christ, you not only have natural abilities, but you also have spiritual abilities. Now, you need to know you have strengths. And there are so many great things about you, but also understand, for every strength, you have a corresponding weakness. And the way God has designed us is to live not only in dependence upon Him, but God has also designed us to be dependent upon one another. We are made to be in community with each other. So what happens is, is that you have strengths where I have weaknesses, and where your weaknesses are, I have your strengths. And together, we work together to become this body of Christ. We, we talked about these, these glorious new things, the fidget spinners. Remember the fidget spinners last week? New opportunities are coming all the time in the use of the fidget spinner. Now remember, there's a bearing here. It's got to be connected, bless you. And it's got to have the other connecting parts in order for it to work. But when it works, not only can it keep children and adults who need to fidget something, it can also train your pets. You doubt me. I don't think it'll work with cats, but, yeah. Look at this. Huh? Isn't that awesome? See, a cat wouldn't do that, I don't think. But a good Dotson with a bow tie every time, right? But notice the fidget spinner. It has to have the, all the parts. If you just got a bearing, the dog's going to eat it, right? And then you got a whole other problem. You got to have all the connecting parts, right? And so it is with the church. In order for us to function, in order for us to be effective, all the parts have to be connected together. Now look, you've got an ability, spiritual and natural. Your willingness to serve must match your ability. It does no good if you can do it but won't. You've got it. The question is, will you engage God in accomplishing His purpose for your life. And know this, you cannot accomplish God's purpose for your life in isolation. You must be connected to other believers in order to fulfill your divine design. And what we're learning in this series is how that works. Today we're going to talk about one of the more crucial aspects of, of a service that we must render to one another. And that is the service of restoration. Some don't take this very seriously, and we should. And I hope to heighten your awareness, not only of your need, but also your responsibility in accomplishing this purpose that God has for us. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to the book of James. It's toward the end of the Bible. Um, you, you got Revelation back there. Keep going left. You got First John. You got the, the Peters. And now, and then you'll get to James. And, and uh, Laney is going to read for us. So, Laney, come on up. And let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Now, let me tell you what we're doing. 
We're going to be in the first part of verse 16. Next week, we're going to be in the second part of verse 16. And so, Laney is coming to read what, what is known as verse, 15, verse 16, part A. All right? So, Laney, do you have it? All right, go for it, girl. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Laney. If you would, go ahead and be seated. You know, I'm amazed with people that can take stuff that is broken and they can restore it to its original design. Last summer, my family and I were coming back uh, from from being uh, down south, and we uh, we stopped by a buddy's uh, church that he's been pastoring, and it's a it's a it's a fun church. It's it's kind of getting off the ground, and so the parking lot is still grass with trees. All right, so we pulled into this parking lot. And I'm in my wife's van now. If I was in my jeep, this wouldn't have happened, but I was in a big old minivan. All right. I pull into this field. I get a good spot, but there's trees everywhere. Then I come out, and there's not only trees, but there are other cars. And so I'm pulling out, and I negotiated around this big tree, and I hear this cracking sound. And I realized a truck had parked where I couldn't see it with a big old steel bumper, and just I just ran right into it. And I pulled forward, and I went out. Of course, thankfully, his is fine. Money. I look over and there's a huge dent. Some of you have experienced this. Have you ever been in the car when everything was happy and then something happens and dad's mad and dad gets back in the car and it's like silence? I got in the car and it was obvious that there had been a conversation about the fact that we need to say nothing until he first speaks. I got in there, no music was on, all you could hear was the air conditioning. And I was mad. So went, paid an absorbent cost, which I thought was absorbent. And, and it was amazing. Two days later, I came back, and it looked like nothing had ever happened. It was amazing. They were able to take what was broken, and they were able to restore it to, to its original design. And you know what? That's what Jesus Christ does. He takes broken lives, and by the power of the gospel... He allows us to positionally be made right with God and positionally be able to be in a right standing according to God's design. We talk about this with the three circles every single Sunday, and I hope that you are sharing these three circles with people you know and love. We know God's design is that we be in harmony, but because of sin, our relationship with God was broken. Now, Jesus, as we celebrated already today, God in the flesh came he lived the holy life we couldn't. He died to pay for our sin. He has been raised. He's now at the right hand of God. So we can repent. We can turn to Him, the living Christ. We can believe in what He's accomplished. And what that does, it allows us to recover and pursue God's design. We are given a right position with Christ, through Christ, with God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit that is eternal. Our position in Christ will never change. But our practice should. The way we live in a horizontal, time-based sense needs to be changed. And I like to think about it like this. I've heard a lot of theologians say it like this. This makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. Our relational position with God is made right through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's done. Now, our relational practice, the way we live out that relationship, it's still in progress. It's still in progress. How does this work? How does the relationship with God work? 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. For our sake, 
He made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange of the gospel. God takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin, died for that sin, our sin, and then he gave us his righteousness. So now we are holy in the eyes of God, and we have a holy position with God. But we're still struggling in this world because we're still in the flesh. So there's still sin. So the, the Paul writing to the church of uh, Colossians, he talks about a whole list of sins, but he uses the lying here in this verse as an example. He says, do not lie to one another. Seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. So we had an old way of life, separated from Christ, separated from God because of brokenness of sin. But now that old life is dead. That's what we celebrate in baptism. When we're buried with Christ in baptism, we're celebrating that our old life is dead. Remember Pastor Jorge in Costa Rica, how he baptizes everyone? He looks at him and says, you're dead. Then he takes him underwater and brings him and says, now you're alive. And that's what happens at salvation. You were once dead. Now you've been raised to walk in a new life. And now that new life, that new relationship is eternal under the covenant of Jesus Christ. But we have this new life that we actually have to live. It makes no sense to have the life of Christ in you and not live it. The expectation of God is that we will live out this new life. How do we do that? Well, we put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're pursuing this, but we got a problem. And that problem is this. We, we all still struggle with sin. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that we sin? We, we talked about this when we received the Lord's Supper just a moment ago. First John chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. Um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So when I just said, but we still have sin, and someone says, I don't have sin, you're deceived. You're deceived. If someone whispered to you just a minute ago and said, I don't have sin, whisper back to them now and say, you're deceived. Because we all still sin. Even though we're saved by grace through faith, right relationship with God positionally, our practice is not yet perfect. And so what do we have to do? We have to confess our sins, and He is faithful and just. We confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive our sins, not to save us again. Once you're saved, you're saved. You've been born again. You have new life. And so what happens is there's a restoration of a broken relationship that has come about because of our sin. It's not that we are separated from God. It's just that there is an emotional disconnection. There's a, there is a very real mental disconnection from God that we've got to acknowledge and the problem's on our end, so we got to go to Him and say, God, I was wrong. Forgive me. I know you love me. I know we have this relationship. I'm sorry I'm messing it up. I'm wrong. I'm done with that. And so we go to Him, and that relationship is restored, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, we have a role to play in that, and a part of that is trusting that Christ has paid it all. We believe that, and then we celebrate it every single day. So whenever we sin... We go to Christ to make that relationship right. But then, what our text says is we have to go to each other. Not only are we to confess our sins to Christ, we're to go to our friends, to spiritual leaders, and we are to confess our sins. And this is the act of restoration that God calls us to serve one another. Now, 
I want you to notice in your outline what restoration. Restoration is an act of service where siblings. It's between siblings. Understand what restoration is. This is from uh, Webster's. To bring back to or put back into a former or, or original state. It's God's design. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. But that gives us the God's design. We are made holy. But living that out, we're not done yet. And so we have to we have to acknowledge to God, I sinned. And He's faithful and just forgive. But then we got to go to one another. And we have to confess to one another. And that's a crucial part. Now understand, you can, you can only receive the benefit of your confession and the blessing that comes from it from other believers in Jesus Christ. Non-believers, they are separated from God and they don't understand the truth of God. You can go to non-believers to fix your car. You can go to non-believers uh, to fix your house. You can go to non-believers to fix a, a broken arm. But for your soul, we must go to Christ and then we must go to our siblings. Why? Why is it that only other believers can, can bring about that, that restoration? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is, is not to be, judged by, is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Understand, it is, it is only those who have been saved by grace and faith in Christ alone who have the Spirit of God. Only they have the mind of Christ. Only they can discern the realities of the soul. And so only they can hear your confession. Only they can help you in that restoration process. You know, we have a counseling center here. It is not any kind of counseling center. It is a biblical counseling center. And let me tell you why we started the counseling center. It's because there were well-meaning people who wanted to provide behavioral modification for human beings. That's not what we do here. We see God supernaturally through the truth and the power of His Word transforming lives to the praise of His great name. So if you're struggling in your life, in your marriage, in your, in your, in your sense of your identity, of who you are, what you're supposed to do, and, and, and you talk to friends, but it's, it's still not clicking with you, Come to our counseling center. Go to our website, livinghopecares.org. All you got to do is click on that site right there, that little button right there, counsel. Fill out a, a form that will take you less than five minutes, and you will be contacted within a matter of hours or days, and you'll be given the opportunity to talk to a biblical counselor. Let me tell you what's different again. Because these things that you're going to discuss will be spiritually discerned by people who have the mind of Christ, who can walk you through what needs to be restored in your broken soul. Understand, only siblings in Christ can do this. Restoration is something we go through with siblings. So write it down. Restoration is an act of service where siblings, first of all, confess to one another. Verse 16, very clear command. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Having confessed our sins to one another, I'm sorry, to Christ, acknowledging that we our practice has not been perfect, we, we go and we, we acknowledge our need for him to do something new in our life. Bernie Sanders doesn't understand this. The world doesn't understand this. Secularists don't understand this. 
The reality is Christianity is not an ideology. Christianity is not an institution or a philosophy. Hear me. Christianity is a way of life based upon a living truth. And to know Christ, the living truth, changes the way we live. It's not just a, a, a social title that we put on. It is a way of life. And so that, that way of life, it begins with a relationship with God through faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our position. But our practice is always, always coming short of what God demands. And so we have to confess to God, I've fallen short. Forgive me. Let's, let's make sure that we're, I'm in complete union and, and completely under your leadership and lordship. Then you've got to go to others. I'm going to tell you what happens when we confess to one another. First of all, we gain the great gift of humility. Confessing to one another creates humility within our hearts. Because what our flesh wants to do is we want, we want everyone to actually believe that what we put on Facebook is all there is to us. That all we do is eat great food and hang out with great people and we always look pretty. Unless we don't want to look pretty, and even then it's cool because we wanted it. We need to understand that God gets us. And we need other people who can get us. And we need to be able to go to them and say, I failed. So they can help us get over it so we can get on with it. I love what Paul said to the church at Philippi, Philippians 3. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I'm not perfect. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, both the success and failure, and straining forward to what lies ahead, God's will for my life, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I, I, Paul said, I'm not perfect. But I'm pursuing, I'm going in the right direction. I had a friend, I have a friend who's writing a book, and he, he sent me a, a section of the book. He asked me to read over it. Really good except for the fact that it had tons of typos and, and grammatical errors, which was, they were just driving me crazy. So I'm just circling red, and I'm sending all this stuff, and you know, he calls me and he says, oh, before he stop sending me all these corrections. And I said, what you send it for me? Well, he said, I just wanted you to make sure, I want to hear from you that I'm going in the right direction. Listen, this thing is far from perfect. I know, you know, I went to public school like you, I can't spell. And so we got, we know that, right? He said, I got all these grammatics. He said, I got other people smarter than me and you that can help with those things. I need to know I'm going in the right direction. I know I've got errors. Those will be fixed in time by someone can help. What we have in Christ is the right direction. But our story is being written. It's already been written by Christ. We know that. But we're living this out. And we know that there are errors in us. And so what we, what we do is we go to God first and we say, God, error here. Error in my attitude. Error in my action. Error in my thinking. We confess it. But then we are to go to one another. And we're to confess that. And that's, that's humbling. And what, we, what we're saying is, hey, I think I'm heading in the right direction. But I'm going to tell you what I did that I know is wrong. And you know what that does? It liberates us. See, when, when we have sin in our life and we try to hide it, that, that act of hiding, it enslaves us. It causes us to feel shame. I'm so grateful. I have been in my life that I talk to every single week. And if any of us have sin in our life, we confess it to one of the guys. I blew it this week. Pray for me. 
Here's what's going on with me. Here's my attitude right now. Here's what's happening in my life. And, and we can confess that sin to one another. And it humbles us. It, it liberates us. But you know what it does too? It empowers us. Because we know we're not in this alone. We know that we have the strength of brothers who are going to come alongside of us. I love Ecclesiastes 4.12. I use this in weddings. And, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I love this picture of Jesus Christ in the middle of two believers, and that is not quickly broken. And so when we confess to one another, we humble ourselves, and, and we, are, we are blessed with humility. We're blessed with liberty. We're free from sin and uh, that shame and that control because we just we let it out to those we trust. And now they're in it with us. Now we have their strength walking with us and enabling us. Now, let me say something about confession. We've got to be careful who it is that, that we confess to. We've got to be mindful of the, of the situations we find ourselves in to make, place, make sure that this happens right. Listen, first and foremost, if you're married, confession needs to happen between a, a husband and wife. Even if it's not the issue between you, although that will often be the devil's playground. we got to confess our sins to one another and make that right. But if you're struggling with another sin in another area of your life, you need to go to your husband. You need to go to your wife and you need to say, I've confessed this to Jesus. I want to confess this to you. And I want you to, I want you to know I'm humbled by this. I need to be freed from this. I need you to be in this with me to fight against it. And, and, and along with that, many times you need to also talk with a spiritual leader. Maybe your small group leader. Maybe the minister that you serve under. Uh, maybe me. Maybe one of the elders. Maybe our counseling center. Leaders that you can, you can trust. It, it needs to be in the knowledge of your spouse. Secret counseling doesn't help. And if you can't share that, then you need to come to the counseling center together and talk about how y'all need to get intimate. How you need to be able to be that close that you can confess to one another. But if, if you decide to share with a friend, listen to me. Never are you to share a man to a woman who is not your spouse. A woman to a man that you're not married to. Always share with a person of the same sex. Men share with men. Women share with women. Why? Because this is a very intimate action. And there will be other snares that will grapple with you'll have to grapple with if you do. So don't do it. Confess to your spouse. Confess to a spiritual leader. Confess to a friend of the same sex. And, and as you do this, be mindful of who you're confessing to. Those you can trust. Those who are mature enough to keep the information. Those who are in a stage of life that they can handle that burden. Listen, if someone is dealing with depression, if someone is dealing with a, a huge burden in their life, don't go add yours onto that. Go to a person who, for in that season of life, seems to have some extra strength that you can rely on. Be wise. Be discerning in who you talk to. Make sure that you go to someone you can trust. Make sure that you go to someone who is strong. And, and then make sure it's someone who can call your bluff. Make sure someone, when you start talking, you know, it, it, it's just this little thing right there that can just look at you and say, who do you think you're kidding? It's not just this. You are dealing with fire and you're going to get burned. And I love you too much. And then they can speak truth into your life. Be mindful that we are to confess to one another so that, so that 
We can pray for one another. Write it down. That's the second thing. Restoration is an act of service where siblings pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And pray for God to bless. And I, I love the blessing that comes in immediate vindication and liberation. When I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, I was on my way to, to alcoholism. It, it, it runs in my family. I, I was a drunk. I was drinking at the age of 15 every day. But tell you something. June 27, 1988 is the last time I touched alcohol. Haven't desired it, don't want it, don't need it. It happened immediately. I was free from that. As far as my foul mouth, that took a little while. See, I had learned from the best how to berate and to use inappropriate language. I was really good at it. I think I still am, but I don't. I'm going to tell you something. It took time. It wasn't this immediate. It wasn't this immediate victory. It was over alcohol. It wasn't over my arrogance that led me to think that I could use poor language. And by the way, that's all bad language is. It's a revelation of your own arrogance. Humble people don't cuss. Proud people do. Humble people use language that's respectful because they are respectful. I wasn't. So people had to come alongside of me and said, "Listen, man, we're going to pray for you." that you will be free from this thing that has ensnared you. See, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews writes, writing to the church, talking about this life that we live out. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Confessing and having people pray, it's them saying, man, I'm praying that you're going to be free from that. Free from that bondage. Free from that addiction. Free from that habit. So we confess it. It humbles us, it frees us, it strengthens us, and then as they are praying for us, there's also that, that bond, and we have the Almighty working. Now, next week, we're going to go into great detail on prayer. Please be here next week. We're going to go deep into what it means to pray and to pray effectively. And I, I can't wait to get into that, but no, right now, what we're talking about is confession and then prayer for what purpose? Write it down. Restoration is act of service where we care for one another. Because confess... Pray that you may be healed. We have to care for one another. You know, there's this lie that the enemy has created that tells people that if they are not living the Christian life perfectly in their own eyes, that they can't go to church. That is a lie. Listen, everybody in here is struggling with sin. And the ones who think they aren't are deceived. And so we need to help each other, to care for each other, that, that we might be healed. We are all broken. Let me, let me show you what this looks like for the Christian life. We talk about the three circles for salvation. Do we understand the three circles for sanctification? That is, becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming more holy. Let me show you how this works. So the first time we come to, when we come to saving faith, the first and only time, it's because we understand God's design, that we were made to be holy and that a right harmony with God, but because of sin, that relationship was broken. So we repent and believe the gospel. Christ comes alive in us. We now have a relationship with Father. Positionally, we're right with God. Now, horizontally, we can pursue and recover God's design. But let me tell you what happens. The closer you get to, to living out God's design, the more you become aware of sin you didn't see before. 
the closer you get to God, write this down, this is important, the closer you get to God, the further you will feel from Him. The further you will feel from Him. Because the more of the holiness of God you see, the more the lack you see in yourself. And so when you see that sin and the brokenness it's causing, you repent and believe the gospel to be sanctified, which allows you to recover and pursue God's design. And the closer you get to God, the further you feel because you see sins you hadn't seen before. And this is what we do our entire life. So we're praying for one another and we're helping one another see the sin according to the Word of God so that we can be free from that brokenness. Friends, we're all in need of restoration. And this healing, hear me, this healing cannot come from my hands. This healing cannot come from your spouse's hands. It cannot come from the hands of other human beings. Healing comes from Jesus Christ alone. You and I are the ambulance. See, when someone comes to confess... I, I partner with them, and I hear that confession. I know that they, they have sought a right standing with God. I'm praying for them that they will be healed, freed from that sin. I pray for them, and I'm taking them to Jesus. I'm taking them to the Word of God, to the Word, and showing them Jesus. I'm taking them. I can't heal them. You can't heal them. Jesus can. Take them to Jesus in prayer. Take them to Jesus in His Word. We're all broken. We all need restoration. We need Christ to heal us. But good news, friends, we're all loved. And He's proven that love for us. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. He Himself bore our sins. Why? Because He loves us. He bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, Jesus Christ. That's the battle. And, and in order to win, you've got to go to Jesus. You've got to go to Him. And then when, when you fail, you've got to go to your siblings. You've got to confess. You've got to pray. You've got to seek healing through Jesus. I've been reminded this week of the, up to this point, was the worst night of my life, 24 years ago this fall. And I tried to give up on God really did. But God didn't give up on me. And that night, I was done. But the Spirit of God was not. And that season, I, I had people I went to and I told them, I said, I, I cursed God. I told him I didn't believe in him anymore. I told him I was going to go on my own and I didn't care anymore. I said, have you asked him to forgive you? I said, yes. I said, well, then he has. And they prayed for me and they took me to the Word. They comforted me. I found healing. And God has been at work in my life by His grace. By His grace. Everybody in this room. We need grace. We need people who will take us to Jesus. Who are you taking to Jesus? Who trusts you enough to confess 
pray and care for you? Who's, who is it that, that, that's there for you? And who are you there for? Friends, we, we've, got, we've got to be in community. It's got to be real. It's built on faith and love and all the good things that God gives. So this morning, I can't help but know that some of you need to come to Jesus. Some of you need to bring someone to Jesus. Some of you need to come and pray for someone you know that is in the battle. Pray for them. I want to invite you to do that now. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I thank you that we can trust in Jesus. And it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take you at your word, Lord Jesus. To trust in your promises. To know that you have spoken, thus saith the Lord. And that all who turn to you will be saved. All those who find their their peace and strength and validity in you, they're, they're healed. So I pray this morning for some who need to come and confess to you on their own behalf. Others who need to come and say, you know, I know that this brother, this sister is struggling and, and they need to pray to you on their behalf. And we all do this because we need healing. Everybody in here is broken, Lord. We need restoration. We're so grateful for your grace that does it. So we look to you now and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.